Hi guys, welcome to my podcast. My name is Will and I'm joined by Tyrese. Hello. How are you doing, mate? Not bad. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. You're an Arsenal fan, right? Sometimes, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Why are you putting yourself through this? Uh, I don't know. It's like, you know the ones when you like support a team for so long, you don't even know how you even got into supporting the team. You're too far deep, so... Yeah. All I know is that I lived, used to live with my nan and my um, uncle and I was an Arsenal shirt before I could barely speak, so I was destined for this kind of pain. <laughs> yeah, so, do you know what? I've come to respect Arsenal fans. Kind of like the whole reason why I wanted to do this podcast because there was a time, I'm not sure if it was last year or the year before, mm. and pro- probably both, where like no club wanted that top four spot. Oh, I, would, I would know exactly which one you're talking about. <laughs> and United and Arsenal just kept bottling it and bottling yep. it. And I was like, damn, there's really not much difference between us. And then in the exact same season, we went and lost 4-1 to Chelsea in Baku. Yep, that's it, mate. And we and we went on this weird run of games where we just started beating everyone like 4-0. Um, and we left it right until the last minute. And I think we... Did we clinch? Did we clinch the fourth spot? I've no idea. There's a chance I can't remember. I know that year was. Actually, no. I think you actually. I think you got sixth that season. Actually. Oh crap! I, I, think, <laughs> I, think, I think it was who made it? it was Tottenham and Chelsea who made the last spots. Oh really? I remember like Arsenal, United, just like the last two, three games, just refused to get three points. <laughs> refused. <laughs> this is it. This is, I mean, this was our bonding session, wasn't it? Like. Yep. <laughs> We can bond over great clubs who are just not seemingly great at the moment. Well, that's it. And that was kind of my segue into, into this little bit. Like, I, I tend to kind of respect, like, fans that are associated with clubs that have been at the top and then fallen, rather than the fans yeah. who are at clubs who have started at the bottom and risen. Um, and I would kind of say Leicester's a bit of an exception to that. But mm-hmm. Man City, for example, can we please talk about not only what we're doing this season, but that, them as a club. Do you respect Man City as a club? I just can't, and I don't. I don't feel like I respect their fans either. I feel like there's no, there's no sh- struggle there. It's just whatever issues they have, even though they have a season that isn't that great, they'll just spend two hundred million in the next transfer window. So their their problems are always so short term. Like they want. Sorry, I cut you. <laughs> even when they're not like, um, even when they're going through like a tough time, it's always in second place. It's yeah, <laughs> they're never yeah. actually going through a tough time when all of their squad is um, out with injuries and they're, you know, because they've got the depth for them on their bench is mental, isn't it? Like, they could have like five starting 11s be injured and still have five people off the bench who would make every other team starting 11. <laughs> Mate, Foden would still be on the bench though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they can find a way to like not have like Bernardo Silva, Gundogan and Sterling not playing like, one game randomly and still um, cover it with quality to replace their positions. They'll still win 4-5-0, won't they? Yeah. And they're literally running away with the title this year. I mean, there was that moment at the start of... and I, As a United fan, I suppose you have this same thing. You're probably having the same thing at the moment uh, because Arteta has finally found um, you know, his tactical board. His, his mm. Any reason to kind of get those players together to actually win a few games and, and perform in any way. Um, yeah, I can imagine you're not getting your hopes up just like every United fan at the start of January when we just went on this weird run of games and managed to grind these games out and, and got that top spot it's it's such a tricky season because I say with Arsenal we had that that, that banter period like, and 
as an Arsenal fan, we have banter period. But we did not win. When we won our last game at Old Trafford, we didn't win another game for like two and a half months. It was all you needed. <laughs> and then, for some reason, like, there was like a nice surge of like youth with Sacco and thriving and Smith Rowe coming in. And then, like, just when you think you're on like a high, a random loss or a poor referee decision, which I'm still very sorry about what happened, just to <laughs> knock things off, like, like your momentum and this league is a lot about momentum just riding yeah. the highs into the next game week yeah I think you're spot on there um, one story I get uh, two players I wanted to actually ask you about um, the first one is David Louise. the second one is Smith Rowe oh. the first one you know the first point I have about this is David Luiz seems to be that player that throws you completely off tangent as a club will score an own goal lose you a game and then the momentum shifts my other point um, is with Smith Rowe. Why is he not in the starting eleven? <laughs> yeah, with it's so weird. Like, it, but David Luiz is so. As a fan, like for me as an Arsenal fan, I'm like I want all my players to like fight for the team and love the team. And obviously, you can't force someone to love something. But I just find it hard to get behind a player who is Chelsea through and through, and years and years and years at Chelsea to then be able to emulate that same effort that they did at Chelsea, at Arsenal, at the end of their career. I refuse to believe that players like him and Willian can put in the same effort as they did when they were at Chelsea. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds exactly like um, Alexis Sanchez as well coming to United, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Not good. Um, but yeah, yes, Smith Rowe. Is he, is he someone that uh, I'm not particularly, I don't really um, follow Arsenal too well. Um, yeah, but whenever I see him play, he seems pretty competent. He seems like someone that would, um, if you give him a good run of games, that he could actually, uh, you know, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> to be honest, Smith Rowe, in essence, somewhat, somewhat saved our season. So, up until I think it was basically Boxing Day, we had that two months of just lo- loss after loss after loss, where everyone was coming for Arteta's head, and like it was, it was a bad time to be an Arsenal fan on that day. We, we were like three points off relegation and we just, I've never seen my club that bad. I mean, yeah, it was literally then, like the relegation battle conversations were happening, wasn't it? <laughs> you know, as a fan, the worst feeling is when other fans feel sorry for you. They're not even bantering you anymore. I've got United fans saying, you know what, I don't even want to banter this guy anymore because I feel his pain. I don't want that. We had, mate, we had I don't want that pity. Shoulder. We had a chip on our shoulder for a good like month or two. But yeah, with um, Smith Rowe. So he came in on that um, boxing day against Chelsea. And Willian, who was one of our worst players during that time. And I think David Luiz were both out because of um, COVID restrictions and things like that. Mm. Up until quarantine. So we had no choice but to play Smith Rowe. And then he like, we thrived. He thrived that game. We like, dominated against Chelsea. And then basically since then, he's kind of been like a mainstay in and around the team. Yeah. When January came in, we got an Odegaard to kind of, and got rid of Ozil, so that saga finally done. And then o, o, not Ozil, um, Odegaard on loan kind of gives um, Smith Rowe the chance to rotate a little bit. Okay. But then he got injured last game, so he might be out for a few weeks, but we got Odegaard to take the spot. Uh, but right. it's on Smith Rowe as to why this start, the start 2021 has been promising at least. Yeah, so I think that's it. I, I think in our last games, we've seen him not. Um, or oh, the last games I watched, I watched the last night. I started to see him 
less and less involved like in the starting 11 and I was wondering if um, if that was a decision from Arteta or if that was a decision he was forced to make through you know injuries or, or if he's just rotating him because Oli does that with Greenwood um, and I don't think it's really benefiting Greenwood but um, managers have to mm. do it sometimes they've got to manage manage the players let me flip ask you a question how do you feel I'll give you two players as well how do you feel about how Mason Greenwood's been this season and Donny van der Beek oh my god don't ask me about <laughs> don't ask me about van der Beek um, I'll start with Mason Greenwood because that's an easier less infuriating question to answer um, Greenwood has been it's been one of those players that you thought you thought you knew a player you really did. You thought you knew someone. You thought you, you know, he had all these attributes, and that he was gonna, mm. he was just gonna be this like Van Persie esque um, striker. It was full of energy. Um, we mm. seem to overlook the fact that he is a small lad, that like doesn't have any physicality. We seem to overlook that last season because he could just finish from any point in the pitch. Um, yeah, yeah. But I think with this season, because and it, and this is the true. Uh, test of any player in the Premier League is whether you know you can do it in that second season because once those defenders yeah. have figured you out and figured your game out then you're basically uh, you basically just have to redevelop everything redevelop your game um, and I think Greenwood is just not only with trying to find what position he plays um, on the pitch what is his best position he's also just finding how to actually beat defenders and know his game now um, and I think he's quite a readable player, and it's it's definitely sad to see it um, this season. Mm. Yeah, like it's kind of I got the same kind of feeling when like remember like last season was like the Saka versus Greenwood comparison to yeah, like that. Yeah. I've noticed like once you become established in the Premier League, the teams feel no way about your like youngster, whoever it is that's kind of will be the spark or a bit of life or energy in your mm. team, just targeting him. Saka, now that he's basically our best player at the moment, he literally is getting uh, bombarded every game. Like, we played Benfica, two minutes in, Yang Vertonghen is already in his back, just basically showing him what kind of they game they They double up, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah they do that, and, and that's literally kind of what happened with, um, I guess that's, that's kind of what happens with uh, Fernandez. I mean, it's not the only reason why Fernandez can't play in big games, but obviously teams are so conscious about his talent, so they make sure they man mark him um yeah so i've got some i've got some unpopular opinions here uh that i stole from a friend on twitter um courtesy of someone called babs 14. um (laughs) and the first the first one it's all it's it's for you it's for it's for the arsenal for all your fans out there so alexis sanchez is more of a club legend than cesc fabregas I thought I'd give you the most difficult one. I was going to start off very, very difficult. Um, it's hard. With Fabregas, he came through of like as a youngster. I think he's one of our youngest players to ever score for Arsenal. Came through the youth, not youth, but kind of like in the latter stage of the youth system. Broke into the first team at, at age 17. Went on to be like our youngest captain ever and was a phenomenal player but he didn't win anything and then not on his fault he just went to Barca because Arsenal was in a, a phase of just not winning anything and not 
putting money behind um, the team to actually get them to win things. So he understandably went to Barcelona. I feel like it's just the manner in which he left was a bit snaky, not going to training, kind of somewhat forcing through a move. But then he did want to come back, and we and Wenger said no. And then there's Sanchez, who did win things, albeit just FA Cups, also left in a bit of a snaky way, pushed through a move to go to a rival, which is even mm. worse. Yeah. Oh, if I was to choose, if I had to choose one bigger legend, I'd go, I think Fabregas, because Fabregas in himself is a legend of the game. I was going to say that. I think, um, I think that you got two players who are so different in how their personalities come across. And if it's on a, you know, if it's on a decider, you know, if their quality doesn't separate, um, you know, or split the opinion, then it does kind of come down to who's a nicer, who's a nicer person or who's the nicest personality. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I'd go down to Seth because he's never showed any ill will towards Arsenal. He wanted to come back to Arsenal as well, so can't really hold him over his head that he went on to win the league at Chelsea. It's true. I mean, you know my opinions on, on Sanchez. Um, and like, it's, yeah. not, it's not positive. <laughs> he's he's definitely someone that I thought... I remember um, I remember reading it at the time when uh, we went into that battle with Man City. And I remember thinking to myself, mm. like, it seems like it's a transfer based upon Mourinho's big ego. It's a transfer that's based upon him wanting to outdo Mm. and outspend Man City and showcase that he can get this big player. And I just thought to myself, like, is he actually someone that we need? Or is this just kind of a Galactico signing? And I think he suited you. He had the freedom when he played for Arsenal. Um, But when he came, when he came to United, I mean, it just wasn't, it wasn't a match made in heaven in the slightest, was it? Yeah, it's also, I feel like certain people thrive in a situation where they're a big fish in a smaller pond. And at Arsenal, he had Arsenal on his back for ages. So even if he did drop stinkers or didn't perform, there's not that big criticism because of all the things you have done for them. Whereas that same luxury isn't at United. You're expected to perform now. Especially when I'm paying you 500 grand a week. I'd happily sit on the bench, mate, wouldn't you? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so move on to the next one, um, which which is actually one that I literally makes me angry to read. Um, Xhaka is the most important player at Arsenal right now. He's de- <laughs> no no. As Xhaka as a as a fan, Xhaka is one of the most frustrating people ever because most of the time, like. Under Wenger, I don't think Xhaka played well. And I think because he had no good midfielder next to him, he just didn't thrive whatsoever. And then he has a like his discipline is quite poor. You can see him like remember one North London derby for no real reason. Like Son is just kinda he's gonna have a shot, but he's probably gonna get blocked or at least saved. He lunges in out of nowhere in the penalty box. And you're just like why? <laughs> where is your game management? Just why? Like where? Like, 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 like the IQ of the game. It's like he knows what to do at certain times, but then it's like he had a lapse, and then he'll just do something just oh, so that's silly. What I feel about David Luiz, man. Like this, this, this is the issue. <laughs> <laughs> we have so many players who, on a day to day, even if they do get bantered by other fans and whatnot and blah blah, like they can perform. 
and then their brain will switch off for a whole second and next minute you're walking I down the tunnel. I think they need an IQ test like before we get into the club. I think you need to start rolling, rolling that program. I'm so sure. I don't know what happens at Arsenal, why there's so many all at the same time. And what happens at the team where if you've got too many people who just have like a brain fart moment and you've got like seven of them, you're just waiting for one of them to just do <laughs> something. You had like a back line of like Kalasanak or um, Mustafi, David Luiz and Xhaka all in one squad. It's, it's an accident waiting to happen. You do seem like one of those squads where you take a look at it and you go, right, is, is there not only just a leader in this squad, but also is there genuine cohesion on the pitch? Because it seems like it's just a bunch of names. And I, I kind of always thought this about like Arsenal as a the consistency just isn't there. Um, this squad that you you've got right now, the cohesion, I can you know I can see that it's getting better. Um, I can see that Arteta is formulating a plan. I think his you know I think the inclusion of Saka is incredible. Um, and yeah. you're starting to see a bit more of a philosophy. But still, you just got this hodgepodge of players that clearly clearly don't yeah. understand the same football that one another's playing, I guess. Yeah, it's true. With um I think with Arteta and where everything kinda of went poor for him, kind of at the start, we'll say in the summer transfer window we just got party. It was like a really big um deal for Arsenal, especially as a big midfielder, not really replace someone who's been like Vieira esque. We've always been quite diminutive players who are a bit more skillful, but not really a defensive powerhouse at all. It's... And then, um, sorry, I was just going to say that's exactly what United have been missing for so long, and I think it's what made us so great in the early kind of two thousands was that obviously that that Keane and Vieira uh, rivalry, and it's what made both of our teams mm. so solid. Yeah. yeah, yeah, carry on. But yeah, so with um, Party coming in, I thought. Arteta needed an attacking midfielder because he had no intention of playing Ozil, but the board didn't back him. So because of all of like that spiraling out, Arsenal's kind of season went really poorly because he he had a plan, only got half of it, so he kind of didn't go down well. But now that he's kind of he's cleared up quite a lot of like the dead wood in like January, just gone like Ozil's gone, Kalasinac's gone, Mustafi's gone, like Socrates is gone. Like he's got a big clear out, all these wages off the bill. So I reckon like going forward you might see a bit more of a cohesive yeah, arsenal. It definitely seems focusing. like it definitely seems like you're kinda of going through that transition period that United had to go through. Um obviously Ollie kind of got he, he I guess he went on a momentum and he got things done a lot a little bit quicker. But um maybe there's an argument to say that there's a tiny bit less dead wood um at United. But it does seem it does seem like he's kind yeah. of going down that same path of clearing out the players and um, ever making kind of strategic signings because I do think that man, Odegaard, what a signing, Party, what a signing, um, mm. and they will come good. Uh, some of them are so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I'll move on to. I'm, I'm I sorry, feel... Oh yeah, I'll leave you I was just gonna say I feel like with um sorry to cut you but I feel like with this season it should kind of be. Even, say for example, I used Lampard as an example. I feel like Lampard was not unfairly sacked because I could see how much he spent and how poor, I guess, he was at times. But I feel like the way the season's gone on, like the managers deserve a benefit of the doubt where it's got no fans and 
the pandemic has drained a lot of the bigger clubs of their money through like match revenue and things like that. I feel like all the clubs should kind of kind of have like a, a scapegoat season. Can you just think, get past it, and then the true team you'll see is the summer coming up into that window when the fans are back. Yeah, and things like I that. think. Um... I read something the other day which said that like Man City is just absolutely suit playing in a in a stadium with no fans. I don't know if that's because they're used to it <laughs> or if that's just because like um, <laughs> they almost play like as a training drill. Yeah, I can. Um, imagine but it, yeah. yeah, I'll move on. I'll move on to this one because you, you mentioned Urzil, Um and this one is, I suppose, as like an outsider, I couldn't. You don't really feel the frustration of an Arsenal player. We had it with some players. Um, Sanchez was definitely one of them. Um, but Ozil is the worst signing you have ever made. Do you do you dispute That's that? False. Yeah. That's false. I think a hundred percent because Ozil at the time we signed him when he was like a Galactico, and at the time. Arsenal had won no trophies. Remember the, the massive goal that Arsenal went up like, like 14 years where he didn't win nothing after the Invincibles. So then Ozil came in 2013. He was a big name. I remember all the fans wanted an Ozil kit. So outside of just his footballing ability, he kind of gave Arsenal a bit of that prestigious name that, oh, Arsenal could buy someone from Real Madrid. He was in their prime and things like that. And then he went on to come to the club I think he's got like a third most or fourth most assist that is a little bit behind Burkamp. So instantly, I think they can't <laughs> be the worst signing. And then, and he's won four FA Cups. This is the three. thing, because it like, when the hype around there, or when the, um, you get an unpopular opinion like that, you start to think like, oh, he has been sat on the bench for about, you know, three years, or he has been, he has been rotten away at the club. Like, what yeah. has he actually done? And then, it takes you kind of speaking to a to an Arsenal fan or, or someone who actually knows like the stats to basically be like, well, he's you know got the second most assists behind Perkamp. Yeah, like so with um with Özil, like minus all the stats and things, it was really frustrating. But it's the way Arsenal played as well. He was never a running back and forth kind of track. He's more of a luxury player. He will stay in his position, find the path that we need to do. And because we never, I felt like we never truly built a team mm-hmm. around those. Yeah. So I would, this might be an unpopular opinion. I feel like Arsenal somewhat failed Ozil in some way that we never gave him like, the defense. Like we signed party like two years too late mm-hmm. for Ozil. Like, yeah. Ozil would thrive with someone who would just do the dirty work behind. You're asking players like, we had a midfielder like Ramsey, Kazola, Ozil. Who's going to defend out of those three? <laughs> this is the thing, isn't it? Like, it's the same thing that's happening at, at United. Is that like, you you get these like luxury players in, and then you you think to yourself like, how can we release these players and and, and release their true potentials? And a lot of the time, that is if that is getting you know other players to compliment them. Those massive like Bruno Fernandez mm. is doing it all by himself, and obviously he's you know his work rate is immense. And like I don't think that'll go even if you get a defensive a proper defensive midfielder at the club. I still think he'll work his socks off. But just allowing him to kind of have that you know creative freedom, and it's probably you know done done a lot of good for for Paul Pogba, seeing him him come back and. What a shame that he's out with an injury mm. again. <laughs> but um, but yeah, like seeing him come back and how much you know when them, them two play on the pitch, it seems like 
Pogba takes some of the responsibilities and, and Bruno relieves other responsibilities. So it allows him to be a bit more free. Yeah. I think that's for, um, as you were saying with Ozil, I think like maybe he was just overloaded with too much of responsibilities that he couldn't actually do. Yeah, I thought when when I look at United, kind of, it's a shame that with Pogba, I feel like it's also been a shame that you've not had the level of Pogba that you've wanted all this time. But like this season, when you kind of were first, and him and Bruno Fernandes were kind of equally sharing like the responsibilities because they're kind of both the leaders and essentially the best players of the team as well, quality wise. Once once um, Pogba got injured, it felt like at that point, even though it would have been hard to win the league for United. It kind of fizzled out by then that City started picking up points and playing their games in hand. United lost a few like, um, points here and there. But Pogba injured. It kind of fizzled out a bit with Pogba. Getting yeah, injured. it's an interesting one. Like Pogba, he comes in. This this seems to be the um, reoccurring theme with, with Paul Pogba. He'll come in and play immensely well for about six games, um, and then on that seventh game. You know, we'll probably lose one nil to someone, and he'll be a little bit lethargic in that midfield, and he'll start getting the, uh, you know, the trolls on Twitter and everything kind of Pogba out. Yep. Um, and then, like, the next few games, it just looks like he's depressed to be on the pitch. You get two, two or so games where he's, you know, he's maybe taken off at half time, and then he doesn't get started, or then he get, then he gets injured, and it seems like every time it, we go through the same cycle, with him, which leads kind of. Um, fans and, and I'll admit that I've been in this bracket with, with Paul Pogba a little bit it leads you to just be a bit exhausted with the player and it leads you to be a little bit like I don't mind if if you do want to go you know I want you to play for the club completely but at the same time like if you are going to um, if you're going to be here then I don't want this constant cycle of just six good games a season um, injury for three months and then like you kind of sulking on the pitch for four games yeah, I think the key with like players as well in like the season like, having them at your club is that even when they're not having like goals and assists and statistics in good games, you want to at least see the fight that they want to have a good game. A lot of players who kind of can see themselves as I guess like the stars when they don't have that like, that showcase performance, you can kind of see them if they don't have that game trudging around the pitch, not really doing what they should be doing, not fighting. Mm-hmm. 100%. And I think it's so sad because I think he was getting into that into that element of his play this year before he got injured. I thought that the reason we were grinding our results was his physicality is such an underappreciated part of his game. Him being in the box and stopping those crosses. And, um, you know, I remember just the, the time ticking down when we were winning 1 0, seeing our game. And he was just, the ball would come in, he was just heading it out every time. And there was, a, there was so much comfort having him on the pitch um, and being that kind of rock in, in the midfield because even though he's um, he, he's licensed to go forward and, and to be a creative player, he really does serve such a physical presence and such a defensive. Um, he is such a defensive asset as well. Uh, so yeah, so it's a complete shame and I think, mm-hmm. we're, I think we're definitely missing him a lot now and I don't know what that will do to our season going forward. Um, so yeah, so that... <laughs> Like on kind of on top of that, um, with the season going forward, do you? How are you going to see, or how do you see at the moment, the top four shaping up? Oh, 
I think C are runaway champions. I've seen that they apparently need to win the next seven games or something like that to, yeah, to win the league. Mathematics. I can see that happening. Um, I think so. I think they'll win the league. I like. I have a feeling that Leicester have been in the top four the whole season, but I feel that their loss to Slavia Praha might have taken like a toll on them because they they should have beaten them across two legs definitely. They then went on to I think lose to Arsenal at home, which they haven't done in a while, and then they drew again today or yesterday I think it was their game. And like you could see, maybe they they did it last season. Remember when they were second for ages, dropped to third, and somehow found a way to like be out of the top four, even though they spend the most amount of time there. So I reckon second place would be United. Third place. Third place. Third place. Third place. I'll put I'll put Leicester third. And then I reckon with two two short in, I reckon Chelsea might get um well, fair play. I mean, speaking of Chelsea, they're beating Liverpool know, right now I away called, from I home. I Liverpool, Liverpool. Um, actually, I called a draw. I called a one-one draw. What's the score? Is it still one-nil? One-nil within the eighth. Yeah, yeah I, I genuinely thought that uh, Liverpool would. It would be a really tough game. Um, where both of them kind of regain and refine their form a little bit. <laughs> right, nah. Tuchel's yeah. doing. Tuchel is doing a good job there, isn't he? Um, yeah. If Spurs win the next game, they'll, Liverpool will be eight. We can only hope, mate. We can only hope. Uh, so basically, yeah, <laughs> I think I think that's a good shout. I'd say I'd say Leicester and United. Um, obviously, the whole idea behind this podcast was to find kind of common ground between an Arsenal fan and a United fan than being comparable clubs but unfortunately mm. I think for the real comparable clubs at the moment it's, it's Leicester and United I think that we both come up with go on these great run of games mm. run of form um, but then when it comes down to it we both just live in the shadow of clubs who have a better uh, squad and you know better manager um and I think that that's probably yeah. going to hit us hard. Hopefully, I think we can rely on our squad. Um, lack of injuries a little bit more this year. Whereas Leicester, I mean, you know, Liverpool have no excuses when it comes to comparing them to Leicester. I mean, Leicester have literally, yeah. like, bless them, they've got <laughs> quite 10 people out this season. So I think they'll, I wouldn't be surprised if they yeah. actually slip yeah. out of the top floor. Uh, top floor. I know that that's, a, um, I know that that's a, a really common opinion at the moment. With um, Everton as well. Everton might put, had a little break in because they've kind of had a bit of run of form and they've got a quality manager, a decent squad. I wouldn't be surprised. I think if Leicester start to blip, you might see certain teams capitalise mm. on their blip. Yeah. Does that only open up one place? Though? I guess so. Because to be fair, with Leicester and United. I reckon United will still kind of push on, but there's only a point between mm. Leicester and United. So United are second with 51, and Leicester are third with 50. And if Chelsea win this game, which they're winning one 0 they will be on 47 and fourth. So it was like three points really cutting the third. It's crazy, fifth. isn't it? I mean, a couple yeah, a couple weeks really ago we were looking at what eight points or something between between second place and fourth. Yeah, it was, the table will start to shape its final form 
when these teams start playing against each other. Like I know Arsenal have a North London derby against Tottenham soon. United have a Manchester derby, I think mm. it's Sunday. Different games you like that will kind of shape it. But Mourinho's Tottenham. I hate Mourinho <laughs> so much. <laughs> I hate Mourinho as a, like just as a Arsenal fan. I hate him specifically, but I, just, I hate playing against Mourinho because if he's away from home and they dare get the first goal, you know exactly what kind of game he's going to play the rest of that match. They're going to be dominated with eighty percent possession. 25 crosses and no goals <laughs> it just becomes such a grind like, especially if you're a counter-attacking team you've just got absolutely no hope of you yep Marina is always tough how are you feeling oh, for the uh, Manchester like, like, not not hopeful in the slightest and I'd rather I think it's a conversation that um, a lot of fans um, United fans would just rather ignore at the moment it's one of those it's one of those games where you see it on the calendar especially with the form that City are in at the moment you see it on the calendar and you just go do I watch that? <laughs> do do I put myself through watching that? I'm, I'm not sure it would I think it would be bad as I don't like any kind of like loss and no matter any kind of derby loss will always hurt but I think having yours just before your Europa League game against Milan as well is quite a hard set to go into well I think it'll be quite symbolic you know I think um, it's one of those games where and and we do tend to we tend to turn up in in derbies um, and well I mean not not amazingly we get them we we grind out the nil nils or we get get nils Um, yeah but if we can put in a positive performance and show that these you know the last few weeks have maybe been down to fatigue or other stuff other other reasons that um but aren't actually a true reflection of the player's quality, um, then I think it could be really symbolic and we could go on to uh, put in an inspiring performance against AC Milan. But it's Oli Solskjaer and I'm not the most hopeful United fan. I hate to say it. Yeah. It's what our club has done to us. You know, like, we're big clubs. We should be going into games not expecting wins because no one deserves no, to expect a win. But you should be hopeful. It's crazy to be second place and still just be unsure whether or not you're going to win. I think that's the common ground. (laughs) There we go. I think that's the clarity. That's the moment of clarity that we're going to have at the end of um, you know every podcast that we do. It signifies uh, the end, I guess. It signifies you know the point where we we found a common ground and uh, and we can go and be depressed about our clubs in silence and go watch go watch other teams play better football than our clubs. Yeah, it's been a really good. It's been been a really good chat. Thank you for uh, yeah. Thanks for coming on and talking.